All right, well, let me say good evening to everyone. Thank you uh, for being here this evening in the house of God, boy, as we look forward to seeing what God has for us uh, out of the book of Jonah, okay? Uh, in this Jonah chapter 4, I was trying to, uh, let me make sure that I'm getting everything up. Okay, as we look at uh, chapter 4, Jonah 4, the angry pouting prophet. Uh, a couple things before we get started uh, tonight, uh, a word of thanks, uh, first of all, to uh, Brother Poindexter. Uh, you know, when I came in this morning for Sunday school, he, he came and he said, you know, uh, you know you're on, on tap to read Revelations uh, in uh, 16 tonight. And I said, oh, okay. And I said, I, I can do that. And, uh, and uh, he said, well, you know what? He said, to free you up, he said, I'll, I'll, take, I'll read that for you. And I said, well, I appreciate it, especially since I was also uh, scheduled to do the parking lot tonight too. Uh, and so and if I would have preached on the parking lot and read at the same time tonight, I think we'd have been preaching something different uh, tonight as well. You all would have really been in for a surprise uh, tonight and stuff, and I uh, wouldn't have been about uh, Jonah, uh, that's for sure. And also, I got a, a, a Thanksgiving, I mean a praise, a Thanksgiving, uh, before I get started uh, tonight. Not really something I was planning on doing, but I saw it and I used it for the first time. And I said, man, I, I, just, pray, I just really appreciate uh, this being up here and uh, being able to uh, get back and forth up the stairs a little bit easier. And I tell you, but now this right here, I'm a, I, you talk about we're going to praise the Lord. I don't mind singing that song that we're going to praise the Lord. But this is definitely a blessing and right here and definitely helps going back and forth up them stairs. I can exit stage left or stage right now, and, uh, and that's pretty good. So I do appreciate that. The book of Jonah. Chapter 4, we've come this far, and uh, like uh, every uh, of the, all the speakers have said so far, uh, what a blessing it has been for them to look into the book of Jonah. You know, I told Brother Larry last week, I said, you know, I don't never really think that I've done uh, just a whole series, uh, you know, on Jonah, so this will be the first time, you know, for me as well, uh, and it won't be the last, because this is a very interesting book in no way that you kind of exhaust it, even though it's just four simple chapters, no way that you exhaust it. It is so much packed uh, inside of there. Uh, so Jonah chapter 4, the angry pouting prophet uh, tonight. Uh, you know, if this book had ended in chapter 3, uh, of course, I wouldn't have had to have been up here tonight. Uh, you, uh, Brother Williams would have had the last message this morning talking about that great prophet uh, who preached a very short sermon but had great results from that sermon. You know, we're only given eight words of that sermon. could have been more. We're not told in the Word of God what else was included in Jonah's uh, message, if anything else was included. But the eight words that was included that we see is enough for a whole city to repent. Uh, the kings, the nobles, uh, you know, the men, the women, the children, everyone in that city to repent, and the animals as well, you know, that they, they made sure that the animals were uh, taken care of and that they didn't work as well as they fasted and prayed and sat in ashes and sackcloth and repented toward God, and then God relented uh, toward them. This is uh, the Syrian uh, city of Nineveh was a city that an Assyrian kingdom was a kingdom that was, you know, uh, up root. Well, they worshiped the god Ashler, uh, you know, idolatrous worship, and they were steeping to that. He was a god of war, 
And so the Assyrians were warmongers as well. They were known warmongers. They were known to be very cruel, known to be very angry, very vicious, uh, debauchatory, uh, and not only to the Israelites, but to all the other nations and stuff that was around there as well. No one really liked the Assyrian uh, people, uh, and it wasn't just Jonah who did not like them. So as I began to look at Jonah chapter 4, I did have a, a slight, had a difficulty at first saying it, of calling Jonah angry. And it was just something about calling a prophet of God angry. But as the more and more I got into, of course, the book of Jonah and then Jonah chapter 4, it was very apparent, especially through the wording that's there in Jonah, in the book of Jonah, uh, that he was very angry with God, and it wasn't just a very mild, passive anger. This was an active anger that he had toward God. And so as we open up to Jonah chapter 4, we'll do as, you know, we've done for the other three chapters. Let's stand, and I'll read uh, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, short uh, uh, 11 verses there, and I'll be reading out of the King James Version tonight. And uh, Jonah chapter 4, starting with verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come over, up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for that which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand per persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? You may be seated. Tonight, as we look at Jonah, I, I approach this chapter 4 as trying to, like I said, wrap up the, uh, the series of, of uh, preaching through Jonah, and chapter 4 seemed to lean itself to a chapter of great application uh, in the book of Jonah. And I said I had a hard time saying, boy, saying that Jonah was angry with God and calling Jonah an angry angry prophet, but he was an angry prophet. And, and as I began to look at Jonah, 
I kept, I kept asking God, not only why was uh, Jonah so angry, but God, what is in here for us? What is in this fourth chapter of Jonah? How can I apply it to my life? And how can I apply it to our lives here in this 21st century here in Kansas City? How can I apply this book of Jonah? And so there are three valuable points that I, that I learned from this book. Just three, and, and all I'm going to do is three. There was more that I learned, but these are the three that really stood out to me in the book of Jonah. And the first one is that a right theology does not guarantee a right response. A right theology does not guarantee a right response in verses one through four. You see, Jonah's response to God action in verse one, we, we, it tells us that it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. He was very angry at God for what God had done. He was very angry at God for God, uh, you know, relenting and God allowing uh, the, the Ninevites to, to repent and, 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 and to turn to him with fasting and sackcloth, and God forgave them, and the city was not destroyed. And it said it angered Jonah. And this anger that Jonah had, as I try to get this to come up here a little bit, uh, and this anger that Jonah had, okay, all right, all right. And, that, and so we look at uh, that the first uh, point in the outline is that Jonah's response to God. And Jonah's response to God was a response that was very angry. It was one, and if you read the, the, the Hebrew in the, uh, uh, of this passage, that word anger and this word displeasure is a very tense anger. It is a very hot anger. It is an anger that burns inside of you, uh, an anger that is seething inside of Jonah. And this anger is directed towards God. If, if it was in contemporary language, we would say that, that Jonah was fit to be tied in his anger with God. And so he tells God that he has great displeasure with him, you know. And so the passage actually reads that it displeased Jonah with great displeasure. It means that Jonah was hard with anger. He was about to lose his temper and to blow his top over, the, his whole, over this whole affair. He was extremely unhappy. He was despondent. He was dejected. He was depressed. He was discouraged. And he was disgusted with God. He was angry. He was mad. He had not wanted to see God have mercy upon the Ninevites. He wanted God to have judgment upon the Ninevites. And I said, God, why? Why is he so angry? Why is Jonah so angry, especially this angry at God? Jonah had had the opportunity of experiencing a whole city repenting and turned towards God. And yet it says he was angry with God. He was mad. The word angry usually refers to the emotional state that we have. And so anger is the emotional state that Jonah was in. Someone usually gets angry when, when, uh, when he has heard something or she has heard something that does not meet their expectations. And more often than not, anger is a spontaneous reaction to a threat of some kind directed at the person or the group to which that person belongs. But there was no threat directed to Jonah. He just simply was mad at God. 
And so he was so mad at God that he now, in uh, verse 2, he's going to pray to God. And this prayer, you know, we, uh, Brother Larry brought out last week that, you know, he didn't want to pray in chapter 1, but chapter 2 within that great fish, now he wanted to pray. And so now Jonah also wants to pray here in the fourth chapter. And as I began to look at this prayer that Jonah had, one thing that really grasped, uh, that, that, that really grabbed me was that the theology of Jonah. You see, Jonah knew God. Jonah wasn't mad at God because he was ignorant of this God. He wasn't mad at God because he didn't understand God. Jonah was a prophet, a true prophet of God. Jonah knew God, and Jonah knew the Word of God. You know, throughout the book of Jonah, we're told how, you know, how Jonah knew God. We knew that he knew that God was a communicating God because God regularly talked to him. There in verse chapter 1 and verse 1, it says the Word of the Lord came to Jonah. He was a communicating God. He, was a, he knew God's holiness. He knew about God's creative power. He knew about God's providential reign over his creation. He knew God's grace and God's forgiveness. He knew God. See, Jonah had some good, right theology, as so many of us do today. We have right theology But sometimes right theology doesn't guarantee the right response because of being angry at God for for being God, for saving people who repent, that's not the right response. And you may have right theology, but there's something wrong in your life and it's not lining up with your theological thought. In Exodus chapter 34, in verses 6 and 7, when uh, Moses was uh, on Mount Sinai and God was getting ready to, you know, give the, he was going to get the two tablets. In uh, 6 and 7 it says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. This was a well-known verse known to Israelites, known to the Hebrew people. It was, called, it was actually called the God Creed. And, and it was this, and this is how Jonah started his prayer. If you look there in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, because he says, and when Jonah prayed, and he says, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? And as he is praying to God and, and, and invoking the name of God, he's using that, the, 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 the term for God, Yahweh, Jehovah, that covenant God of Israel. And so he's calling upon this covenant God of Israel and wanting to know and getting mad at the covenant God of Israel for saving a Gentile nation. And he says, that's the very reason that I wanted to go to Tarshish, to try to get away from here. I was trying to help you out, God. I was trying to get away from you, God, so you would not be put into this position because I knew that if I came and preached to the Ninevites that you are a God who is merciful. You are a God that is gracious. You are a God, as he continues to say, that you're a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger and a great kindness and repentance thee of evil. 
In other words, as Brother Williams explained this morning, that God relented. He turned away from, 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 from punishing the Ninevites because they repented toward God. They repented and had faith toward God and then showed the acts of, of, of that repenting by their fasting and their, uh, and, and, the, and their sackcloth and their ashes. And so they had faith in God, turned to God. And what did God do? God says, then I will relent. I will not destroy you at this time. I will have mercy upon you instead of having judgment on you as I had announced. And so Jonah prays to God, and Jonah is, is telling this covenant God that that's the reason that he fled, because he realized that God would be God, and that if these Ninevites, uh, if they repented and wanted to turn toward God, that the covenant God of Israel would save these Gentiles and have mercy on them. Could it be that maybe Jonah was, was maybe a tad angry at the fact that, you know, his prophetic reputation was on the line? And he not went into Nineveh and said, 40 days, Nineveh, 40 days, because your evil has come up before God. You've got 40 days, Nineveh. And they repent, and God relents. And so what Jonah said didn't come true. Could it be that he was angry with God because he was just simply angry with the, the, with, with the, with the, the Ninevite people? You see, the Ninevites had been, they, this, uh, had been a very thorn in the side to the, to the northern kingdom of, of Israel. They were very ruthless against the northern kingdom of Israel. They would attack their border cities there in the nation of Israel. And it wouldn't be too long before they actually take that northern kingdom into captivity. And then after they took them into captivity, then they would also begin to be a thorn in the side of the southern kingdom of Judah. But God would not allow them to overtake Jerusalem uh, during the time before, uh, you know, after they took the northern kingdom into captivity. He would not allow them to take the southern kingdom into captivity. And so he knew that these were some very angry, vicious people that did not deserve the mercy of God, or at least as Jonah thought, did not deserve the mercy of God. And so Jonah prays a prayer, and it's a little bit of a different prayer that he prays here in chapter, in, in verse 4, that he prayed in chapter 2. Chapter 2, it was a thanksgiving prayer for God, you know, sending that great fish in order to save him out of the water and then to protect him inside that great fish. Now Jonah prays a prayer complaining about God's mercy to the Ninevites. And he concludes that prayer, you know, by saying, God, this is just too much for me. I would much rather die than to have this on me. I would much rather die than to see these Ninevites enjoy the covenant God of Israel. That's being pretty angry. You know, Jonah was asked a question by God. Jonah, is that right? Is that right for you to feel like that? You know, when you, look at, when you look at God's response and then at Jonah's response, God's response was that the evil of the Ninevites had come up before him. God said, then I will send my prophet Jonah to preach to them, to tell them 40 days, you know, if they don't, if to, uh, that he would have judgment on them. Yet and still, he didn't go. 
he had a second chance that he commissioned him to go. This time Jonah went. And when Jonah goes and preached, instead of the 40 days uh, prophecy coming, they repent of their sin and God then relents from destroying them and from bringing judgment upon them at this time. And so God's response was, the Ninevites got right with me and so I did not destroy them. But Jonah's response was that he didn't go the first time God wanted him to go. He did go the second time. He did preach the message God wanted him to to preach. But instead of judgment upon the Ninevites, God had mercy upon them when they repented. And then everybody in the city was saved. And Jonah got angry. And so you got God's response and you got Jonah's response. On one hand, you got God, the creator of the universe. On one hand, you got God, the one who is able to be gracious and mercy and kind. And on the other hand, you got a prophet who was mad because his message got messed up. And instead of God showing judgment on the Ninevites, he had mercy on the Ninevites. And so you got God's response and you got Jonah's response. And something just isn't lining up here because I believe, I'm not too sure, but I'm pretty sure that we better take God's response. Because this one just isn't lining up. Good theology, but the wrong response. And how many times have we seen in our lives and in other Christian lives, good theology, but wrong response. They know what to believe. They know how how to, to recite it. They know Bible verses. They can tell you what to do and what not to do, but... Their lives just don't match their theology. Good theology, right theology, does not always guarantee the right response. You see, God asked him a question. And God doesn't mind when we ask God a question. But God does mind when we criticize his character. You see, God being merciful and kind and gracious and long-suffering, as it says in in, uh, 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 Exodus there 34 and here in Jonah chapter 4, God, that's God's character. And Jonah was criticizing the character of God. Could God be anything but God? How many times do you have people who you'll say, you know, uh, you'll hear them say, boy, God is good. And I ask, but he's got, he can't be nothing but good. That's his character. God is love. He can't be nothing but love. That's his character. And he cannot deny himself. So if the Ninevites repented, God then relented and says, I would not destroy them. So we learn the first lesson is that you have a prophet who had good theology, but he had a wrong response. And the second point that I'd like to bring out tonight, the second thing that I learned from this was that our election is a privilege that care, that includes responsibilities. Our election is a privilege that includes responsibilities. In verses five through eight, 
You know, Jonah wasn't by himself there in the nation of Israel. They had kind of forgot why Israel was the chosen people of God. It wasn't because they was the greatest nation around. It wasn't because they were the largest nation around. It wasn't because they were just such good people. They were the people of God because God chose them. And that choosing that God had for the nation of Israel, of forming a great nation of them, that carried many responsibilities for that nation of Israel. So they forgot about their, uh, you know, their roots of Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1, you know, 1 through 3, when God tells Abraham and establishes that Abrahamic covenant that says, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and unto a land that will show, I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I'll bless thee and make thy name great and thou shall be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. They had forgotten, they had become so so, so hardened. They had become so prejudiced against those who were not like them that they did not want to see those people experience the same love and the same mercy that this covenant Yahweh was showing Israel. Yet God said, that's exactly the reason why I chose Israel. That's exactly the reason why I established a covenant with Israel. Because in a world darkened by sin and chaos, God chose Israel to be a light to the nations. He chose Israel to be a people who would showcase both his redeeming grace and his righteous judgment. In Isaiah chapter 40, uh, uh, 42 and verses 6 and 7, it says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of thy people for a light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the, out of the prison house. And who else is sitting in darkness besides those that was neighboring on the side of Israel, those that worship gods made of wood and stick and metal and iron and gold, those that burn their children on the altar, those that did not have any, want anything to do with the nation of Israel. Who else was in the darkness? Who else was in the prisons? Who, who really needed that light but the neighbors and the nations that were surrounding Israel? And he said, that is why I chose Israel. But Israel went into the promised land and did not implement God's foreign policy as he had told them to implement. And because of that, then they became infested with the idolatry worship that God wanted them to tell other people to leave. They brought it to Israel. And so Jonah had kind of forgot that his covenant, that covenant, you know, had privileges that carried along with it responsibilities. Responsibilities to be a light to other nations. Yet and still, it tells us there that Jonah, that Jonah, Jonah saw the people of Nineveh get right with God. And what does Jonah do? So instead of going down to the people there in Nineveh, instead of wanting to fellowship with those people in Nineveh, what does he do? He separates from them. So Jonah went out of the city there in verse 5 and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. He wanted to really know, was it true? 
Are they, gonna, are, are they just trying to fool God? Are they just trying to play with God? Are they really, really, really right with God? And so he said, I'm going to go up here and I'm going to sit up here. I'm going to get away from them because these are Ninevites and I am an Israelite and I've just told them that God was going to destroy them and so they might want to destroy me. And so he goes up on this hill and what does he do? It's not that he actually watches. He makes himself comfortable while he watches the city of Nineveh. He makes a booth for shade and for a place to sit down like it's a picture show. He makes himself comfortable to watch this city that has turned from their evil ways and turned toward God. And it says that his attitude now while he prays to God, it turned from being turned from being sad and turned from being mad to one that was being glad. Because in, in look at verse 6, it says, And the Lord God prepared a gourd. He not only had a booth now, <coughs> but he prepared a gourd, a plant, and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. So he went from being angry because God because, because people got saved, because people got right with God, to being glad that God made a plant to cover his head, to give him comfort. Right theology, but man, some wrong responses. Jonah had just simply forgot, as so many in Israel had at that time. It wasn't just Jonah. This was a national problem that they had, that they forgot that this covenant God had made with them, that this covenant had implications. It had responsibilities that they were to carry out, and these responsibilities was not being carried out. These responsibilities did not include, you know, being the, the prejudice that they had against uh, the, the Gentile nations. It did not include the prejudice that they had against people who was not of the Jewish heritage. It did not include the anger that they fostered against people that they didn't think deserved the covenant mercy of Yahweh. And we have to be so careful today as well because we have a great privilege too that goes along with our election. You see, our election is a privilege that we have that carries with it awesome responsibilities. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, what does it tell us? It tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And we have to be careful that we do not shirk our responsibilities as Christians, as Jonah was shirking his responsibility as an Israelite, he allowed his prejudice and hatreds of the Ninevites uh, to cloud his judgment. And we have to guard our hearts as well so that when we see people and see people as God sees people, as objects of mercy and grace, and not so much of the lifestyle that they live or the behavior that they exhibit 
or the sin that they enjoy, but we see them as objects of mercy and grace. We see them as those that we may witness to as someone witnessed to us so that they can be brought out of the darkness into the light so that the prison doors of sin and the prison doors of oppression and can be open for them as well and they can know the joy of the Lord and the joy of having eternal life with God. We have to be so careful, guard ourselves and guard our hearts against the prejudice that we have today that when we see people that are not exactly like us or act like us. Because when we don't, when we, when we, when we treat them in a way that we, 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 we have standoffish from them and we don't, do not want to be bothered with them, then when the time comes and they really need somebody to talk to, they will not want to talk with you. It's, it, you know, we, we see so much in our society today and, and, and we see so much of alternative lifestyles in our society today. And, and yes, it hurts our heart to see that. Yes, it, it grieves our heart to see that. But we must still be open to create some sort of, you know, relationships, communication, so that when a time comes for us to be able to plant that seed, that the seed can fall on maybe some good ground. Because how are they going to come out of that sin, how are they going to come out of that alternative lifestyle if it is not for God? Satan's not going to help them out. Satan has put them in, and he's kept them in, and he's kept them down, and he's kept them in. If it's not for God, they will not get out. And if it's not for us telling them about God, they won't hear. They'll hear everything the world has but nothing that God has for them that would truly help them. You know, I got a heavy dose of privilege and responsibility when I was in Bible college. I, I didn't know anything about Bible college. I just know that God had saved me. God called me to preach. And after a matter of time, he opened up the doors that I could go and I could prepare for the ministry. And so when we went to where, you know, to the, to the city and, 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 and began our going to school, and, and, and now I had the, the, the responsibility, uh, you know, me and Darlene are having a family and then uh, going to school and, but still having to work. And, you know, I was excited at first when I went. Man, I, you know, they, they come telling me I had to learn this stuff called theology. And, and, uh, and that puffed me up a little bit. And then they come telling me, man, I was going to have to learn this thing called Greek and Hebrew. And I'm saying, well, isn't this English I'm talking good enough? You know, why do I need Greek and Hebrew? Well, you're going to have to have it, you know. And so I had to start taking that. And, and then I began to, to walk around year, you know, year one, man. And I had the, the three-ring binder. And I had all the little cards on there with the little hole. And I had the cards on there with all the uh, vocabulary words, man. You had to learn all the vocabulary, the Greek New Testament and the, and the English word in the front and the Greek word on the back, and we would carry that. we put it on our belt. 
so people could see it, you know, and, or, or we'd be in the break room and we'd pull it off the belt and, you know, and we'd turn it in around and everything so people could see it. And it was a, it was a bad, red badge of courage. And then as year two rolled around, you know, we, we finally got our textbook for Greek and, and we would uh, learn a little bit of grammar and we'd do a little bit of translation. And then all of a sudden, here comes the third year. And it's starting to get a little tiresome. Because between going to school and then having family and going to work, it's starting to get a little bit tiresome. And then you got all your other subjects as well. And so I must admit that, yes, there was some times that I went to class and I wasn't prepared. There was a Professor Fulton in our third year. We had about a week of that that mostly everybody that came to class wasn't prepared. And a lot of older men in there and with families and responsibilities, we get in there and did you do it? I, I didn't have time. I didn't have time. I got home. Time I got home, I tried to look at it and I fell asleep. And I said, I'll get it in the morning, but I didn't get up in time because we had Greek first thing in the morning. And I said, I just didn't do it. And so this one day he came in and he called the first person. They didn't have it. Called the second person, they didn't have it. Then he called the third person, they didn't have it. So Professor Fulton stood in front of us and he told us a story. I'd never heard it before. It was new to me. I'm quite, maybe you have heard it before because I know hundreds and hundreds of people have heard it before, but I had never heard it before. And he stood in front of us and he just began to talk and he said, early one morning, In the year 1738, after walking 48 miles, a shepherd boy with homespun clothes and bare feet stood at the counter of Alexander McCulloch's bookshop in the University City of St. Andrews in Scotland. The startled shopkeeper was yet more surprised when he heard the the, the young uh, youth's request. It was for a Greek New Testament. Boy, exclaimed the professor of Greek who happened to be in the shop at the moment. He asked him, what would you do with that book? And the youth answered, he would try to read it. And so the Greek professor said, I tell you what, if you can read that book, the professor said, you shall have it for nothing. Soon a rather thick leather volume was in the lad's hand and to the astonishment of all present, he, heard, he read a passage and won his prize. And he left that shop with his Greek New Testament, a smirk on his face as he began that 48-mile walk back to his sheep that he had left in the fields. You see, John Brown taught himself Greek while herding his sheep. And he did it without a grammar book, teacher, or lexicon. He would later become one of the greatest preachers and divines in Scotland. And he stood there in front of us. And he said, surely, Young John Brown of Haddon should forever put to shame those theological students and busy pastors who neglect the Greek Testament 
though teacher, grammar, and lexicon are at their disposal. And he picked up his Greek New Testament and walked out of class and never said a word to us. We were scorched. We were humiliated. We was ashamed. But we never went to class again unprepared. Our election carries privilege. It's a privilege that carries awesome responsibilities. Sometimes you can have right theology, but the wrong response. And then the third thing that I learned from this passage of Scripture in verses 8 through 11 is that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. You see, God looks at the heart, as he tells us in 1 Samuel 6 and 7. He looks at the heart. You know, when, when, he went to, uh, uh, when uh, Samuel went to uh, uh, go and to anoint one of uh, Jesse's sons as king, he thought that he had picked the one that would be, make a good king, but God said, no, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, Jonah had been fighting against God this whole time. His desires was the exact opposite of what God was desiring. God does not grant his request of taking his life uh, that, that Jonah wanted him to do because God wanted, what God wanted to do was to doyle out a heavy dose of humility on this prideful and unwilling heart that his prophet had. Where he wanted no mercy for Nineveh, God supplied him with a lot of mercy that day as he kept saying, God, Kill me, kill me, God. I'd rather die than see these Ninevites get, Ninevites get right with God. And God asked Jonah one last time to search his heart and his motives. And he said, is it right for him to be angry when so many lives have been impacted by the mercy of God? Look at verse 8, and it says, And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted, and he wished himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for, thou, for, for the which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, a great, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? He said, Jonah... Are you that callous, that blind, that this plant means more to you than 120,000 people? Put it in perspective. This plant that you are withering and you say that you'd rather die 
You're more concerned about a plant that you had nothing to do. You didn't grow it. You didn't even take it away. Yet and still, you're more concerned about a plant than you are 120,000 people. You see, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. God wanted to spare the lives of 120,000 people that was existing in spiritual darkness there in Nineveh. But he also wanted to teach his prophet a lesson. And the lesson that he wanted Jonah to learn, he wants us to learn as well. That aligning our desires with God is always a process. And just because we go through the motions of following God's will does not mean that our hearts are aligned with his. God wanted Jonah's actions and his heart as well. He wanted his actions and his heart to align with his response to God. He wanted his actions and his heart to align with God's heart. He not only wanted Jonah, but he wanted Ken's actions and heart to align with God's heart. He wants your actions and heart to align with his heart. The book of Jonah is one of the two Old Testament prophet, prophetic books that end in a question. We see the question here in, in, in Jonah, as God says, should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, over 120, 120,000 people? You know, Brother Claxton on, on that first one, he talked about, you know, were these children or were these, uh, were these actual adults and stuff? And, you know, it's, uh, and, and, uh, and I liked his explanation of it. Linguistically, uh, it does point to the fact that it, it was probably uh, adults. And plus, after, when you read Nahum and you see what happened with Nineveh, and then after they discovered, you know, was able to find Nineveh and to dig up Nineveh, you know, then really, you know, the, the, the area of the city of Nineveh may not have been able to include all of those people if we're talking about children. But whether we're talking about children or whether we're talking about adults, God said, Jonah, 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 Jonah. Are you that callous that you worry more about a plant? About a tree? We worry more about things today than we worry about people? More about causes than we do the cause of God? Jonah, are you that callous? Is your heart that turned against me? In the book of Nahum, and I'll only read verses 18 and 19, it's only three chapters, it's a couple books over from Jonah. Nahum would be the prophet that would go and preach to Nineveh again. He would deliver another message to Nineveh. You see, the revival of Nineveh, it doesn't last long because in less than a generation, the Assyrians would carry the northern kingdom into captivity and they would become a thorn, like I said before, in the size of Judah. 
until about 612 B.C. when Nabopolassar, the father of Nebuchadnezzar and the Medes, would take the Assyrian capital and the Assyrian kingdom down. But whereas Jonah, a hundred years before, had went and had preached to Nineveh and there were those in the city that repented, Nahum, Nahum went to Nineveh and Nahum laid the message of a destruction out to them that God had said, at this time, no mercy. You had mercy and you forgot mercy. You had mercy, turned your back on mercy. You had the true God and went back to your false gods. This time, Nineveh, no mercy. And in verse 18 and 19, chapter 3 in Nahum, it says, Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Syria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no ease in your heart. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. Syria is gone. Assyria is gone. It says, for who upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? And it ends with that question. Assyrians had been evil to everybody around them. And everybody was glad that they were gone. In the book of Jonah, it's kind of sad. You know, I read a lot of, read a lot of writers who tried their best to say, they tried their best to say that Jonah changed a change of, had a change of heart. But I just don't see it in Scripture. If you could show it to me, I am willing to change my mind. But I don't know, and I'm not saying that he didn't, but I cannot say for sure that he did. We don't know. It ends there. He dropped it like dropping off a cliff. You know, he ends it there, and he says, Jonah, should I not spare this great city of Nineveh? With 120,000 people and the cattle beside, should I not save them, Jonah? And we have no reply from Jonah. But the good news is that you can reply to God tonight. Your life doesn't have to end in a question mark. Is your heart aligned with the heart of God? Because in the end, the whole matter, whole of the matter is the matter of the heart. In the end, you're the one who answers, God, you saved me. God, you, and you, this election that I have comes is, is a privilege that you've given me. And this privilege comes with awesome responsibilities. Am I fulfilling those responsibilities? And God, I have right theology. But do I give the right responses? You don't have to end in a question mark tonight. You can settle it with God. Settle it with God. Make sure your heart is aligned with the heart of God. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the book of Jonah. Oh, God, what a book. So much more, God, to take out of this book. Thank you for the opportunity for Pastor Borden, allowing us to bring you these four chapters. And each man, Lord God, bringing out so much in the chapter that they dealt with.
but so much more. God, help us not to leave here tonight with lives of question marks, but lives that are bold statements for God, that our hearts are aligned with the heart of God. In Jesus' name we pray.